0: the cnbc app global market news in one place customizable sections and personalized alerts stocks tracking interactive charts and market insights all in your hands stay connected stay informed download the cnbc app today
1: good morning and welcome to Squawkbox here are your headlines this morning disney shares rise in extended trade after hiking prices for its streaming services but the entertainment giant reveals a larger than expected subscriber loss with CEO Bob Igar pledging to sharpen their focus.
0: We're prioritising the strength of our brands and franchises. We're rationalising the volume of content we make, what we spend and what markets we invest in.
1: US stocks slip ahead of today's key inflation print, with Wall Street looking for signs the Fed's rate hikes are taking hold ahead of September's all-important decision. And earnings in Europe continue to roll on. Uh, Siemens uh,
2: posts a 10% rise in revenues amid healthy order growth in the third quarter with CEO Roland Bush uh, hailing uh, the normalization of demand in China. We'll hear from the head of the German industrial giant at 7.30 a.m. CET. Also, China hits out at President Biden as the U.S. leader issues an executive order curbing American investment in Chinese tech with Beijing saying it reserves the right to retaliate.
1: Disney has posted a mixed set of results for its third quarter, as you can see, on a beat, a miss and a beat on the EPS revenue and subscriber numbers. The revenue marginally missed expectations, with 9% growth in its streaming division outweighed by falling income from its film and traditional television businesses. The entertainment giant beat on adjusted earnings per share as cost-cutting began to have an impact and streaming losses were narrowed versus expectations. Now, as for Disney Plus subscriber numbers, they fell 7.4%. Shares are higher in extended trade, as you can see, despite initially falling as much as 4% after the company revealed plans to crack down on password sharing following in the footsteps of rival Netflix, as well as price increases across many of its streaming services. The CEO CEO Bob Iger said the company is focused on delivering streaming profitability.
0: Since my return, we've reset the whole business around economics designed to deliver significant, sustained profitability. We're prioritizing the strength of our brands and franchises, we're rationalizing the volume of content we make, what we spend and what markets we invest in. We're deploying the technology necessary to both improve the user experience as well as the economics of this business.
1: There's a lot to pick through here, starting out with movies. It's been a huge cycle for films. Uh, the Oppenheimer Barbie phenomenon and uh, effectively Disney hasn't had some hits. That's a problem. Bob was still talking about the hits for the past decade. Avatar and Frozen. That's been a long time coming since we've seen those movies on the big screens. In terms of the parks division, I thought that was fascinating. Also, you saw a drop in the attendance of the numbers of Florida, but you had the bounce back around the reopening theme around Shanghai and Hong Kong. So again, swings and roundabouts taking place. But for me, it was interesting to look at the, the disruption of the television business because Bob Iger had very much put a target on this part of the business when he floated plans around what to do with linear television. And we saw that decrease there, what down 7% on those numbers and the cord cutting uh, impact impacting ABC, um, National Geographic, FX. But uh, the streaming service, I think that was interesting too. We had an increase but it was driven by prices. It wasn't driven by subscribers. So there were a lot of moving pieces for Disney in this latest quarter. And Garen's
2: interesting, right? The uh, password crackdown. uh, Something dangerous happened. That these streaming giants are initiating. It helped with sentiment on Netflix. So I think part of the reason why in the after hours the stock is doing well is because of the restructuring of the streaming business and the overall restructuring as well. There are murmurs in the market that as part of this restructuring exercise, which the market is excited about, uh, there could be a, a sale in the world now, whether it's as a whole, because nobody has the gumption to actually buy out Disney as is or, or some part sales, especially for the TV business and, and the business that's not performing, which is the production business, remains to be seen. I think also there was something lacking on the front of their AI strategy. They didn't say so much about AI this time around, and many people are expecting whether or not that would be in the works in an ad-supported uh, uh, tier model for uh, the for the TV business, for the streaming business, uh, and whether or not that would be the way forward. Because right now, Disney, the way it's going, it could risk obsolescence if it doesn't do much on AI. It
1: was Needham a couple of months ago or uh, several weeks ago talking about whether Disney could be a buyout target. I think that uh, sends shockwaves through the business, so all bets are on the table in terms of how they restructure, but the Penn Entertainment deal, that could be seen as a, an instrumental one for ESPN, that there are creative options. Options that Bob Iger is willing to pursue rather than traditional spin-off uh, and sales or, or even uh, bringing on board uh, certain owners of the business. So I think it's watch this space when it comes to Disney.
2: Absolutely, Karim. Let's uh, talk about moving on. Uh, on uh, what's uh, important for the markets this morning, and the data point that everybody would be eyeing would be July's U.S. core inflation print is expected to come in at zero point two percent in what would be the smallest back-to-back increase in two and a half years. Meanwhile, annualized core CPI is forecast to come in at four point eight percent also unchanged from a month before the federal reserve views core inflation which excludes food and energy costs as a more accurate indicator of underlying price pressures a lower inflation print would underscore market expectations that the fed will keep rates on hold at its september meeting and potentially even cut rates that's right cut rates by the new year and that's very much uh, within the realms of expectations that the markets have from the central bank, from the U.S. central bank, that is. I want to recap the action in the U.S. markets overnight. We had the Dow Jones Industrial Average another day on the trot. This was, of course, the sixth in seven sessions uh, that we saw the S&P 500 and the Nasdaq uh, come off. Uh, The Nasdaq lost about 1% for the Dow. It was essentially the fifth session in six uh, that we saw pressure building for this index, But it must be uh, mentioned over here that Caterpillar, which has a 5% weighting on uh, the Dow Jones, actually continues uh, to roll on. Uh, it's gained about 14% in just one month, with a large part of that gain for the construction equipment maker coming in in the last 15 days. So that's what's uh, supporting the downside risk uh, for the industrial average. Uh, that's not, of course, uh, helping uh, the s and 500 and NASDAQ, which were down because of NVIDIA's performance, uh, especially dragging both those indices. I want to mark treasuries very quickly. Uh, what's happening in that mark? Uh, the spread continues to be uh, stubborn and we are looking at the narrowing of the spread there between 70-75 basis points. Uh, of course, it, you need to be mindful of the fact that the market is now repricing itself on what happens with the economic outlook in the back half of this year, Karen, and whether that would pave the way like we discussed of uh, on rate cuts in 2024.
1: To earnings today, and Wienerberger has posted 2.2 billion euros in first half revenue, despite a wider slowdown in renovation and infrastructure. The world's largest brickmaker says construction has been on the decline in Europe, but the business in the United States continues to perform well. Joining us now in studio is Jaime Scheuch, who is the CEO of Wienerberger. Nice to see you, Jaime.
0: Thanks for having me here. Good morning.
1: Good morning. I I want to start with the the first line in your results today. Construction markets decline in Europe. North America is more resilient. Is this purely down to the impact of interest rates now hitting these economies differently?
0: Not at all, actually. Interest rates play an important role, uh, as you well uh, know. But it's also the European approach that is very different from the US one. So here we have, obviously, from a demand side, Also a certain um, problem here in Europe because there is a lot of regulatory change in the market with respect to new construction and renovation.
1: So when it comes to the outlook, what do you expect to play out from here? Because these complex uh, mix of events are not changing. We still have the rate scenario to play out. We still have regulation. We still have the impact of raw material costs, which a lot of the uh, companies are reporting uh, is not abating as much as they would like at this stage. And we know wages are remaining sticky. So so what transpires from here on these markets?
0: Well, we at Wienerberger, actually, we assume that this markets won't get any better right now. We, it's a sluggish environment, to be honest. And we will see a weak building environment in the next. Uh, one or two years.
2: Hi, good morning. Uh, I just want to touch upon the renovation uh, activity and renovation demand. Has it picked up uh, in this particular quarter?
0: No, it has not. Uh, the renovation, also from a perspective, if you look at the different countries around Europe, is under pressure because obviously the availability of uh, money for people is not there. Affordability is an issue when you talk about renovation. And especially state funding programs have come to an end in certain areas. So we need a stronger um, approach by the European Union if they want to achieve their 3% renovation rate in order to get the Green Deal done.
2: And we'll talk about of course uh, how you are working towards sustainability and your efforts on that front but I just want to touch upon an important market which has been sluggish for you which is Eastern Europe. Mm -hmm. That continues to be the case?
0: Yes, obviously Eastern Europe has already suffered last year. You remember interest rates were much higher than in the Eurozone. I talk about Poland 15-16%, also Hungary 18% interest rates. So here literally it came to a standstill the new residential housing market. We will have it still this year. I think it's flattening out at the low level, but again here we will see hopefully some growth uh, next year already.
1: Just want to a sense of how you're thinking about the business and the trajectory because it was late last year in November you were planning out for three years which I think given how difficult the events have been to see out for three years is quite a, a huge effort anyway but now we've got uh, very difficult conditions you're also talking about stepping up uh, cost management as well in the business just how quickly has the environment changed and how dynamic do you have to be now versus what you're anticipating in November last year?
0: Perfectly honest, it's a it's a crazy world to be honest. Last year we were actually putting extra shifts in to satisfy demand levels. At this very uh, period of the year, today we have to cut back on production. So you are absolutely right. We have to be very flexible, very quick in adjusting to demand levels. It's about the three months to six uh, uh, w- a week a weeks in the different markets, but we need to be really very quick in implementing and flexibilising our cost structure.
1: Just on the cost side, we were talking to Continental yesterday, it did strike me the amount of extra cost they're still seeing through the business. What are you witnessing? Where are you seeing some cooling in terms of those inflation pressures on prices and what's still remaining elevated
0: at this stage? Well keep in mind inflation is still pretty high wages as you mentioned are still up in around Europe. So. We And that's not going to change, right? That's not going to change. I see the environment around 6% um, around Europe, the the, the inflationary cost increases also for next year. So we will remain in this territory for a while.
2: Uh, We were talking about your sustainability plans, right? And uh, you are making strides on that front uh, with investments in the United Kingdom. How are things uh, going as far as the setup of the factories concerned for new roof tiles?
0: Very well. We are very satisfied. You know, we are testing new technology. We are going from uh, electrification of our plants to using other uh, energy resources for producing our products. So we are have Are you our all te- financing? Uh, financing is not an issue actually we have as you know strong cash flows Mm -hmm. and for me it's much more important that we finance and that we are not relying on any subsidies but on the other hand it's so important that we test around different countries different uh, ways how to produce because energy resources around Europe and the US will be very different in the next 10 years and uh, keep in mind we have 220 locations so we need to uh, make sure that they are Um, have the right energy resource and are completely, I would say, independent from the grid.
1: Speaking of the future, I want to get into uh, the amount of housing stock because as you talk about demand in certain regions, the UK, Belgium, Germany, Netherlands, France, where you're talking about the decline in new build demand. Are we getting to a stage where down the track we are coming into some sort of a housing stock crisis? What do you see based on the level of investment at this stage?
0: (laughs) You're absolutely right. We have actually two major issues. The first one is that uh, during the last 10 years, not enough houses or apartments were built. We have migration in Europe, we need more houses, so we have had a very low building rate. Uh, Now we are actually in some countries already below the level of 2009. You remember the crisis then. So actually when you look in the next two, two, three years, there might be a dramatic shortage in certain areas. And that's why I alert especially decision makers on the political front that from social housing we need to do more in Europe also in this country, by the way.
1: So what's the answer to social housing? Is that about getting private investment aligned with public investment? Is it about uh, changing government policy? What's the most direct way to intervene in the market?
0: May I say something uh, very honestly to you? Social housing has always been a political issue. They only build social housing if they are up for re-election. We need a long-term program. Yeah. If you look around Europe, you need more or less a 10-year program for social housing because you get an inflow of people and therefore you need to provide affordable living for them. So you can't just say for, for an election period of four years we will do something. Yeah? Mm. So this is, it has to be done by the state. On the other hand, you're absolutely right, you need to bring more private money into the sector and make it more attractive to invest in social housing.
2: But are you seeing private money come into the sector and you know, are you engaging with private equity firms on that front? I want to tie in that with your outlook for the next year because now there's much talk about how rates could have peaked. They may stay higher for longer, but at least they've peaked.
0: I think you're absolutely right. This is a moment where everybody has to face these high interest rates. So it has come to a certain standstill. But you see already money moving in this direction. So I I think, take, for example, the biggest economy in Europe, Germany, with about minus 40% in new residential housing. Needs, obviously, different ways of financing. And I see people coming and preparing here already uh, to engage in this sector.
1: Just very quickly, um, Meridian Brick, uh, successful integration you've spoken about in the latest numbers today. What do you see on the transaction side? Are you interested in making other purchases at this stage?
0: At this stage, I think we are, we are uh, uh, right now completing our biggest transaction in the history of the company. It's the roof tile uh, producer, Terial. It yeah. will be for the rest of the year. We will be busy there. And I do think for a company like us, such a crisis has a good uh, opportunity and provides us with the right opportunity to pursue external growth. And there will be great opportunities around.
2: And uh, we wish you the very best for the future, I Thank you very much for stopping by and speaking with us about your business plans. That's Haim Oshwitch, uh, who's the CEO of uh, Werner Berger. Uh, let's move forward. We have a slew of earnings uh, due and C-suite interviews ahead on Squawk Box are lined up. Our action-packed show today, this Thursday morning, we'll hear from the CFO of uh, Allianz and the CEO of Zurich Insurance this hour. We will also bring you highlights from Maribelet's conversation with Siemens CEO Roland Bush uh, and, of course, top executives from Munich Re and Orsted also joining us later on on the show. More earnings here in the region. Allianz has posted a beat on second quarter operating profit, uh, which came in at 3.8 billion euros. And I'm pleased to say on that, uh, on the back of those numbers, you're joined by the management of the company. Uh, uh, Gilio Terossia is uh, CFO of Allianz joining us right now. Uh, Gilio, it's great to have you on the show. Thank you very much for your time. I do want to start off by understanding your operating performance uh, for your key segments, especially life, health and property casualty.
3: No, uh, thank you. Uh, Yes, we had very good results for the quarter. I would also say we had very good results for the six months. Our operating profit for the group is... uh Uh, 7.5 billion, which is 15% higher compared to the level that we had uh, last year. And if you remember last year, we had a record profit for Allianz. Now coming to the segments, in, in the live segment, we see very strong business margin. That's very important. So we continue to put production with very good margin. And that's a reflection of all the work that we did on the product side. And also clearly the rate environment is also helping. And the enforced business is delivering very strong results Two, we have an ROE of uh, 15% on our life business. So we see a lot of solidity in uh, our life segment coming from new business and also coming from a reliable delivery from Inforce. When we look at the PNC business, we had uh, basically for the six months almost uh, 4 billion operating profit with a combination of 92%. So very good results, and we see a very strong performance in uh, commercial lines where the combined ratio is even below uh, 90% and we see a lot of resilience in uh, retails. There is some pressure coming from uh, inflation, but we are reacting with uh, rate increases. Rate increases are even accelerating and then we have also the benefit from higher investment income. So at the end of the day, when you put all together, really strong performance for the quarter, but also very strong performance for the uh, six months of the year
2: right and and julio would you be looking at building your uh, asset management business especially with allocation to more fixed income assets at this stage given where rates are
3: yes absolutely so as you know we are uh, clearly uh, I would say powerhouse in uh, fixed income, especially uh, through PINCO. We are seeing flows coming back, by the way. Uh, last year was very challenging from a flows point of view. We see we saw positive flows in Q1. We saw also positive flows in Q2. And we are seeing flows clearly coming uh, also in uh, July. So from that point of view, I think we are at these inflection points where we're going to see positive momentum in our fixed income space. And clearly, we are continuing to uh, build our capability in this space. We have an income strategy, which is very strong. We have emerging market strategies, which are uh, very strong. We invested in the muni business a few years ago, and we continue also to look at opportunity in the private credit space. So from that point of view, we have a strong franchise. We are constantly working on uh, making sure that we can have a very strong product, product range.
1: Julio, is this as good as it gets when it comes to property and casualty? You describe the latest numbers as excellent in that segment, but it feels as though even though volumes are higher, they might be cooling off slightly from that first quarter.
3: No, I would say volume and property casualty are holding up very, very nicely. And also what is very important is to look at what we call the rate change or renewal. So basically the price changes that we are getting. Uh, And if you look at that, they are accelerating compared to what we had uh, last year and also compared to what we had in uh, Q1. So from that point of view, growth in uh, property casualty is coming, uh, indeed, as expected, even uh, I would say to a certain degree, maybe uh, better than what we were uh, thinking. And we see some resilience of the volume. That's very important. When, When you put rate increases, there is always the possibility that you are going to lose customer. We see that the volume is very much resilient, and then we can get the benefit. From uh, the rate increases that we are pushing through.
1: Julia, it feels as though it takes someone to break ranks and to price lower, starting some sort of a pricing war and just changing the setting, or it takes governments to get involved. Are you worried about either of those factors?
3: About, no, I'm not worried about. Uh, if you're referring to what happened in Italy, just to, to better understand your question, I, I, can you? Can you please rephrase the question?
1: In terms of the premium, what we've got at this point, premium increases after premium increases that uh, some customers are struggling to meet at this stage. Uh, Surely it could require some sort of government intervention and, of course, you mentioned the Italian windfall tax uh, on the banks. Are, Are you worried about some sort of policy change here or is the bigger threat really going to come from competition?
3: No, I'm not worried about the intervention of government into the insurance space. I don't see that. Also, uh, what is uh, happening, we are reacting to the inflation that we are seeing. So it's not that we are creating now extra uh, profitability. We are just making sure that we can uh, keep the profitability level that we have been historically targeting. So from that point of view, I don't see this as an impact in the insurance industry regarding uh, customers. I think there is an understanding that because of inflation, premiums are going up it's also important we are working on the efficiency level too, so we are doing all we can in order to mitigate any uh, price increase that is right. hitting the, the customer, but to a certain degree clearly right. we need also to use that uh, lever.
0: Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe
1: Express. For more market moving news, you can head to CNBC.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Cho, weekdays on CNBC.